Ha! Mime, mime, mamo, mime, mamo, mumo, mamo, mumo, mamo. Oh, hey, I didn't even see you there. Welcome back to the Whatever Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Stone, and I'm so very glad you've chosen to join me again to wrap up this very special two-part episode about West Virginia cryptids. Um, if the cover art for this episode looks different, that's because it is. I got kicked out of my Canva account, so I had to recreate the art from scratch. So, that's why it and any future covers may look different. I know it's been a minute since I was active, but if you'll indulge me, I can explain. See, I was graduating from college on May 13th. Yay! Yay! Go me! So, this past week has been all about settling back in at home, looking for jobs, and door dashing in the meantime to make a little money. Apparently, the job market isn't great for people going into radio right now, uh, at least in Chattanooga, Tennessee, so if you're listening and looking for a dashing radio personality, give me a call. Uh, I figured I'd wrap up this episode so that maybe I could get more monthly listeners so that people would take the podcast seriously enough to throw me a sponsorship or two. Maybe some advertisements. I think that's all I have to report to my adoring public right now, so let's get into the meat of the show. Uh, if my voice sounds different, it's because of two things. Uh, one, I just woke up. I know, I know. Wait, you can't tell what time it is. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you. Uh, and two, it's because I am once again in my laundry room uh, recording with some earbuds. So it's going to be lower quality until I can afford a real mic. Um, I did get a mic from Best Buy, but it's absolute garbage. So I won't be doing that. Uh, if you'll recall from last week... West Virginia is a state full of natural beauty, but also mystery and tragedy. Thousands of men and women have died in the West Virginian coal mines because of cave-ins and methane explosions. So, if a place can attract weird stuff just because of the tragedy associated with it, West Virginia is a primo place for monsters. Also, I noticed with the last episode that most of these things seem more like aliens than monsters to me. I mean, if you'll recall, Indrid Cold is definitely an alien. But the Grassman also didn't seem native to Earth, and Mothman definitely feels like an extraterrestrial, if if he isn't, you know, like a Native American curse. Um, so, this week, our first visitor comes from Flatwoods, West Virginia, which I would not be surprised if you've never heard of, except in connection to the Flatwoods monster. Flatwoods is a town of between 260 and 390 people, uh, according to a 2020 census, um, and depending on which website you visit. I visited two, and they gave me two different answers. Um, But the clear, common denominator is that it's never risen above 400, as far as my research goes. Uh, Flatwoods is, according to datausa.io, which... Seems sketchy, but I trust it. Uh, It's 99.2% white folks, and anyone else is probably Hispanic, uh, according to the data. The town, or village as it should probably be called, 
is less than a square mile in area, and I'm thinking that very little happens in or around Flatwoods as of today. But this was not the case in 1952. On September 12th of that year, two boys, Ed and Freddie May, saw something very weird. They described it as a red streak, which struck across the sky and crashed near a farm nearby. Uh, The two boys were accompanied by three other friends, Kathleen May, Ed and Freddie's mother, a dog, and 17-year-old National Guardsman Gene Lemon, who led the group into the woods. So that's seven people going into the woods. The group got to where the boys said the streak landed, and they began looking around in the darkness. Something to note is that at the scene of the sighting, there was a thick layer of mist all around the group that will come into play later. Uh, Gene Lemon, the guardsman, was the first to see it. He said in an interview that at first he saw glowing eyes coming from a tree, and then the thing stepped out from behind it. The group described the figure as being ten feet tall, with a glowing green face and a red body with claws for hands. Uh, The thing seemed to float in the mist, and its glowing eyes never moved from the group. It hissed, and the group ran, including the dog. Um, now it is possible that the colors of the thing are flipped. Uh, some depictions have it having a, um, green body and a red face. But I don't think it matters that much. Uh, when the group had gotten to safety, it was discovered that one of the boys had peed his pants, but no one had been hurt by the monster. However, several of the boys reported being nauseous and even had burning throats. When they entered the area where the monster was, they reported that the mist that I mentioned earlier smelled like burning metal and sulfur. Could this mist have been generated by the monster? Um, maybe a defense mechanism? The people who found the Flatwoods monster linked the boys throwing up uh, and having problems with their throats to the mist, but this also could have been nerves or something similar. Uh, Braxton, West Virginia, the county Flatwoods is in, says this on their website, quote, Some of the members of the group suffered from throat irritation, vomiting, and nausea, which persisted for days. These symptoms were passed off as a side, side effects of hysteria, but it is worth noting that these are also telltale signs of exposure to mustard gas. Uh, now, first of all, if mustard gas was just floating around in the woods, that's pretty weird, right? That's odd. That doesn't happen every day. Later, Kathleen May and Jean Lemon came forward with a sketch of what they'd seen. The monster's defining feature, which it is recognized today for, is having a head shaped like a spade from a playing card, kind of round, ending with a sharp tip on top. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, the monster never made another appearance after this, supposedly. But other people around Flatwoods claim to see similar things around the same time. Audra Harper, a woman who lived about five miles north of Flatwoods, saw something weird a few days before the Flatwoods group. She and a friend were walking past a farm in Heaters, West Virginia, when Harper saw what looked like a ball of fire on the farm property, although she just thought it was a controlled burn caused by the farmer. Then, unexpectedly, she saw an oddly, almost scarily tall man step out of the glowing ball, so the women ran. Some sources say that the figure followed them till they passed a gate in the forest, but 
Others say that the figure just stood there, looking all creepy-like. Another strange sighting occurred on September 13th, the day after the Flatwoods sighting. George and Edith Snitowski were driving that evening near Flatwoods with their 18-month-old baby in the car. Suddenly, while they were driving on a lonesome back road, the car died. George tried to get the car started again, but to no avail. Gradually, the couple began to smell something burning and sulfurous, and their baby started crying. The night was pierced by a strange light, and a large figure appeared in front of the car. The thing was large, like I said, probably ten feet tall, but it didn't exactly look like the Flatwoods monster, because the thing's head was reptilian and bony, instead of the Flatwood monster's iconic spade-shaped head. The thing touched the Snitowski's car, which started again, then it walked, maybe even floated, into the woods around the road. Now, I couldn't find quotes from these people who claimed to see the things which could have been the Flatwoods monster, which makes me even more skeptical than I was before. I think that people were so bored that they heard about a possible monster sighting nearby and either had their imaginations hijacked or just lied to gain attention. I'll throw in a what could it be later in the episode because the Flatwoods monster only has a few theories around it. So it wouldn't be a good what would it what could it be. Firstly, the Flatwoods monster could have just been an owl. If the owl was sitting in a tree, it could have looked like it was ten feet tall, and it could also account for the weird shaped head. Uh and and the tiny talon T Rex claws. Secondly, it could have actually been an alien. The media attention that the Flatwood story got attracted the military, and most importantly, those behind Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book, for those of you who are unaware, uh, is not a theory or a conspiracy. It's a real government organization which was active from early 1952 to 1969 that focused on unidentified flying objects or UFOs. The reason why this organization was formed was not because of aliens per se, but because the Russians. The U.S. and Russia were engaged in the Cold War, and no one knew what, when Russia would send some advanced jet soaring above the states to drop something insidious. Authorities from Project Blue Book arrived at the scene where the Flatwoods monster was first sighted, and determined that the things the group had seen were probably a meteor streaking across the sky, and an owl in the trees. They also theorized that a supposed plane crash could have been the source of the burning mist, and that the glowing red light the group saw was an aircraft beacon on top of a nearby hill. Whether this was true or not, I guess we'll never know. My skeptical brain thinks that the military was covering stuff up, because I like Fox Mulder, and I trust him Im implicitly. Uh, for those who, of you who don't get the reference, uh, that's a reference to The X-Files. Excellent show. I have never finished it. Uh, I also think that maybe the residents of these small towns in West Virginia could have made up a monster to gain media attention. To this day, the Flatwoods monster is Flatwoods West Virginia's main export, and the reason for most of their income. There's a statue of the monster as soon as you come into town, and people make bank by creating and selling statuettes of the monster even if they don't believe it truly visited the town that one time in 52. Whether it's real or not or is up for debate, but what is not up for debate is that the monster is the best thing to happen for the town since it was founded, 
a lot like Point Pleasant's Mothman, if you'll recall from the first episode. Next, we head to Grafton, West Virginia, for something very different, and also kind of more scary, in my opinion. First, though, let's take a look at the city itself. Grafton is larger than Flatwoods by a lot, with a population of over 4,000 in 2020. It's still not huge, but bigger than Flatwoods. Supposedly, Grafton has the longest history of celebrating Memorial Day, which for people outside of the U.S. is a day for honoring and celebrating veterans of our armed forces, um, celebrated on the last Monday of May. Also, side note, thank you to all of my non-U.S. listeners. I thought that most of my listeners would be uh, college students from my college, but apparently other people have found it. Or other people have very good VPNs, and it says that they're in Australia. So, if I do have Australian listeners, thank you. Um, Grafton is also one of the places where Mother's Day was created, when Anne Jarvis, a Grafton native, created Mother's Day work clubs, in which she taught local mothers how to properly care for their children. This was in the years before the American Civil War, so hygiene practices and proper child safety precautions probably weren't up to the standard we have today. Jarvis also organized Mother's Friendship Day during the war in 1868, where the mothers of both Union and Confederate soldiers tried to broker peace between the two sides. Almost a hundred years after Jarvis's Mother's Day efforts, an unimaginable horror stalked the woods in and around Grafton during June of 1964. The first sighting of the Grafton monster, West Virginians are real creative with their monster naming systems, was on the evening of June 16, 1964. It's weird how none of these things were ever spotted in the daylight. Anyway, Robert Cockrell was driving parallel to the Tigert River Tigert, Tigert, on Route 119, when he saw something he couldn't wrap his mind around. He described the beast as being about nine feet tall and four feet wide, with gray, seal-like fur, and, most disturbingly, no head to speak of. The thing noticed Cockrell's car and disappeared into the woods. What's weird, though, is Cockrell could still hear a low, whistling sound, which he attributed to the creature... Uh, but he decided to get far away instead of investigating. He arrived at his house, called some friends, and went back to investigate with them. According to Cockrell, all they found was some flattened grass, uh, maybe, maybe some footprints, and that same whistling sound, although no one wanted to get closer to the noise just in case they would come face to chest with the thing. It, it couldn't be face to face, since the thing didn't really have a head. I hope you liked my joke. Uh, Cockrell was a reporter for a local paper, and the editors were reluctant at best to accept his claims, so he thought that nothing would come of this. His friends, however, were thrilled, because this was probably the most exciting thing to happen in Grafton in 50 years, except for the Memorial Day parades. So they started telling everyone they knew about the giant monster in their town. This led to a monster hunt, which consisted mostly of teenage boys walking through the woods along the Tigert River with baseball bats and other implements of destruction. Of course, they never found anything, but the popularity of the monster caused many people to come forward with their personal accounts of seeing the beast. Here's one of my favorites, and an accent that I think this guy would have. 
I have seen a creature called a Graf Grafton monster several times when I was a young man, and it is very real. My first encounter, I was with my father cutting wood. We'd finished and we were loading the truck when our two dogs started barking. We stood there and listened. Someone was walking, getting closer. My dad told me to get the gun from the cab. He carried a double barrel, 10 gauge with double lot buckshot. Whatever it was, it picked up its pace and continued toward us. All we knew for sure was it was big and wasn't scared of us, the dogs or the chainsaws. It stopped about 50, 55 yards from us in the trees and went quiet. My dad pulled both hammers back, stood in front of me, told me to be ready. The next thing that happened I'll never forget. Stepped out, looked at us, took three strides in our direction, turned and walked back into the tree line. This is my first sighting of the beast and I'll never forget it. My second encounter is about two months later at night fishing alone. I spotted him on the opposite bank and I got the hell out of the area. Now time for this episode's What Could It Be? Oh, Harold, what could it be? I just don't know. As far as potential explanations, Grafton locals and authorities were quick to throw out several different things. People thought that maybe the Grafton monster was an escaped polar bear, but the problem was, escaped from where? There wasn't a zoo nearby, let alone a zoo with a polar bear, so that theory doesn't really make much sense. Other people believed that what Cockrell saw was a guy pushing a handcart with a bunch of boxes. The boxes could have been stacked nine feet up and four feet wide, but... Wouldn't Cockrell have seen the guy pushing the cart? Also, why would a guy with a handcart have been by the river in the first place? Some people believe that the Grafton monster was related to our old friend Bigfoot, but I'm really skeptical about this one. The thing is certainly Bigfoot-sized, but in my research about Bigfoot, Sasquatch, and other creatures like them, there's very little about them not having necks or heads. The other theory, of course, was that the Grafton monster was an extraterrestrial being. This would make sense when it came to the thing looking weird, but also aliens would have to exist and want to come to Earth. I've said this before, but for you new listeners, I do believe in intelligent life in the universe. My main reason is that the universe is just too vast and unknown not to contain another planet which can host life. I mean, the chances are pretty good, I think. I'm not an astrophysicist or anyone acquainted um, with space. I just have my theories. But why would aliens want to come to our planet in the first place? As far as habitable planets go, this one isn't exactly welcoming of new stuff, so it might be best for visitors to miss this little roadside attraction of a planet. Um, and when it comes to the Grafton monster being an alien... Uh, the theory is that the weird whistling noise was either it making a weird whistling noise, or it was the thing's ship, which had crashed nearby, or at least was nearby in some capacity. Oh, that's what it was. The Grafton monster has become a figure in popular culture, featuring in the newest Fallout game, Fallout 76, which I have played and it's gotten better since its infamous release. Maybe I'll cover that in, an, in another episode, I don't know. What I do know is that the Grafton Monster was also featured in an episode of Mountain Monsters, a show which I really want to watch now. It's basically Finding Bigfoot, but the team hunting monsters is made up exclusively of hillbillies making things up. 
which I guess makes for interesting television. Um, and it's only mountain monsters. It's like West Virginia stuff, Bigfoot, um, things like that. And I think for listeners of this show, that'd be a good show. Uh, not sponsored, but, uh, you know, if you want. Um, the Grafton monster has done for Grafton what Mothman did for Point Pleasant and the Flatwoods monster did for Flatwoods. It rocketed the town into its 15 minutes of fame and has given Grafton a reason for tourists and monster hunters to visit. Sure, the Grafton monster isn't the sexiest creature, what with its blubbery skin and its lack of a head, but it serves as an attention-getter. It eventually got the attention of the acclaimed ufologist Gray Barker, who wrote about and publicized Mothman and several other members of the West Virginia Cryptid Club. Was Barker trustworthy? Probably not. He was writing books about aliens visiting Earth, but he provided a great service to the people of West Virginia. Okay, this next one is strange, even for West Virginian cryptid standards. A lot of people believe that Sheep Squatch... Yes, you heard me right. Its name is Sheep Squatch. was first spotted in the 1990s, but there is a possible sighting years before near Marion County, West Virginia. According to theclio.com, Theclio? The Clio? I don't know. In 1929, recent Croatian immigrant Frank Causal was walking home from the 93 mine near Rivesville to his home in Fairmont, West Virginia, which was about six and a half miles. Uh, side note, that is a killer commute to have to walk six and a half miles to work every day and then six and a half miles back. That's horrible. Causal took a shortcut through the woods when he first saw what people think might have been the Sheep Squatch or the White Thing. Uh, both are pretty bad names, but Sheep Squatch is a little more imaginative. He said that the thing he saw was, quote, about the size of a large dog with white hair, a bushy tail, bushy tail, and sharp teeth. He tried to keep the thing at bay with his lunchbox, but it was still coming for him. He ran, with the thing close behind, until he crossed into a cemetery. He looked back, and the thing was gone. Years later, Causal's daughter came forward with her father's story, which, if true, is probably the first recording s recorded sighting of Sheep Squatch. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice and my speech are just not great today, and I apologize. Uh, after Causal's alleged sighting, the thing lay dormant for more than 60 years, or people just didn't report their sightings because it was just too weird to be true. Full disclosure, West Virginia has several creatures they call white things, which could be sheep squatch, devil dogs, the Grafton monster, aliens, or anything else. I'm not going to be talking about these other things because I don't want to exhaust all my ideas in this one episode. If you want to know more about these things, look up West Virginia White Things on the internet and you'll find a myriad of weird stuff. Um, we're focusing mostly on the Sheep Squatch, who came back in the 1990s. Some people say that the first sighting in the modern era was close to the TNT area, where people also claimed to see Mothman. It's unclear when the, when the sighting was, probably because it's just folklore. But the story goes that a car full of women drove by the TNT area at night and saw something that looked like what I think of when I hear about Sheep Squatch. It was big, probably 9 to 10 feet tall, and it looked like a huge man except for its head, which was long and sheep-like, 
with horns. Why are all these things 9 to 10 feet tall? Why can't we have like a little gremlin guy, you know? Like a like a two-foot two-foot little gnome man who causes mischief in West Virginia. Do all of them have to be huge? Anyway, the first sighting I could find with an actual estimated date was in 1994. The man who reported the sighting was walking in the woods when he saw a large white creature approach a stream, drink for a few minutes, and walk back into the woods. During the same year, two kids playing in the yard saw what they compared to a large white bear standing on its hind legs. The thing ran into the forest, leaving a trail of broken tree limbs and sticks. The reason I'm not giving a specific location is because Sheep Squatch has been sighted all around West Virginia. He, he, uh, he gets around. Um, the next sighting was in the following year, 1995, when a couple driving saw a large white creature in the ditch next to the road they were on. They claimed that the creature had four eyes, but otherwise it sounds like Sheep Squatch or something similar. Instead of running, like Sheep Squatch was known to do, uh, the thing leapt out of the ditch and began to attack the car. The couple sped away, only to find scratches all over their car when they got out. The sightings fluctuate, but the next documented sighting I could find was in 2015, 20 years later. A group of campers saw Sheep Squatch on top of a nearby hill, and apparently it saw them too. Worst case scenario. It began running down the hill toward their camp, but was stopped by a river. It crossed, and the campers said that its chest looked like that of a bipedal dog, which is a weird detail to throw in, in the middle of your story. It came closer to the campers, but then both the creature and the campers heard a loud screech, which made the creature cower. It ran away, seemingly in fear, and the campers didn't stick around to find out what had made the noise. If it's something that can scare a 9-10 to 10 foot sheep hybrid creature, you don't want to find out what it is. Of course, all these sightings are conjecture, and many of the sightings could be dismissed as hoaxes or fame-seeking, like all other cryptid sightings, but this one, this one West Virginia cryptid that doesn't seem like an alien to me. This feels like something out of Native American legend, but I couldn't find anything that sounded like Sheep Squatch. It could also be something similar to our understanding of Sasquatch or Bigfoot, but maybe like a distant cousin or something. In Fallout 76, which I mentioned earlier, Sheep Squatch is the result of nuclear radiation. If Sheep Squatch was seen near the TNT area, this theory could be more plausible, but there are no real cases of animals exposed to nuclear radiation turning into a 9-10 to 10 foot tall monster with a sheep head. I think that's mostly in science fiction movies. I also think that the Sheep Squatch is a hoax more than Flatwoods and Grafton, just because it's more ridiculous. It's clearly based on the legend of Bigfoot, and West Virginia is known for cryptid sightings, so people there feel more inclined to make stuff up, I think. The other white things could be real. I don't know, but I seriously doubt the Sheep Squatch sighting. Uh, to wrap up today's episode, we'll talk about West Virginia's uh, one of West Virginia's oldest cryptids, according to sighting records and legend. When German immigrants moved to the area which would be become West Virginia, as well as the surrounding areas, they brought with them their culture and superstitions. In the 1720s, the first German immigrants settled around the Pot 
Potomac River? Potomac? Potomac. It's Potomac. Which courses through West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Along with the German immigrants came legends of several creatures, including the subject of this segment, but also other stuff, like the Snallygaster. Now, I chose to omit the Snallygaster from the podcast because it's really weird and hardly shows up in West Virginia throughout history. It's mostly native to Maryland, although it did visit West Virginia a time or two, according to legend. Um, essentially, the Snallygaster, or Snellergeist, which means quick ghost, is a large dragon-like creature with one eye, two wings, and tentacles coming out of its beak that it grabs people with. Uh, often, the Snallygaster is depicted as having a rival in the area, the Snarly Yow. The Snarly Yow came with the Germans and is, in my opinion, scarier than the Snallygaster. Legend has it that the Snarly Yow is a phantom dog made of pure darkness with piercing crimson eyes and lots of intimidating teeth. It's called the Snarly Yow because of the yowl it makes when it snarls. Uh, these people were straightforward with their naming process and, again, not very creative. Many of these cryptids haunt a single location, but not Old Snarly. It's been seen in West Virginia, Maryland, and even parts of Georgia, as far as I can tell. There aren't many depicted stories about the Snarly Owl, but it has a method of scaring people. According to different descriptions on the internet, the dog will dart in front of motorists at night, and when the driver feels like they've hit something, they'll get out of the car, um, and then more often or not, more often than not, they won't find an injured animal or any damage to the car, but sometimes the Snarly Yow will appear in front of them and scare their socks off. Snarly Yow has also been sighted during the American Civil War, during the Midnight Battle in Turner's Gap, Maryland, and battles around Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. There are no clear stories about the Snarly Yow during these conflicts, but people think that it operates much like a British, British stories about a black dog. Uh, coming to someone who's about to die. So maybe the Snarly Owl is another harbinger of doom, like Mothman. <clears throat> also, if you just heard a dog bark, uh, that wasn't the Snarly Owl. That was my Shih Tzu Poodle Mix Marshmallow. Uh, one famous account I've managed to find, uh, and there aren't many on the internet um, that I could find, but again, I didn't do a lot of digging, and this is mostly on... Uh, Fan sites and cryptid forums and stuff. Uh, one famous account I managed to find happened sometime around the 1800s, around the time of the Civil War, when a famous huntsman stumbled across the Snarly Owl. This guy was famous for his marksmanship, so he took a shot at the dog, but the bullet passed straight through it. He took several more shots, but they had no effect. Finally, he just ran away. In all the documented stories about Snarly Yow, it appears and disappears like a ghost. A blog I read about the creature makes a good point. V.L. Jones on Coffeehouse Writers makes the point that the beast sounds like a ghost, but ghosts usually just stay in one area, maybe a house, a bridge, or they can even be attached to an object. But the Snarly Yow seems like it can, it can go where it wants. Now, in my opinion, this makes it more like a cryptid than a ghost, but it could be both, I guess. Who knows? Uh, the Snarly Owl was very active during the Civil War when bloodshed was rampant, but after the war, things cooled down, and the creature was spotted less frequently. 
It took a vacation until the 1970s when people reported hitting dogs in the road at night and then seeing that nothing was there, like I said earlier. So, what could this thing be? Well, my gut instinct is that it's just folklore. People make up stories or bring back old stories from their German ancestors who brought the story with, in the first place over with them. There's nothing wrong with this. I enjoy a good ghost story as much as the next guy, but it doesn't make them real. I feel about ghosts the same way I feel about aliens and Bigfoot. I'd like to believe, but I've never seen one. Another explanation is that it could be a mythical dog creature of some kind, like a black dog, or maybe a hellhound. If this is true, then the people of West Virginia and Maryland are in more trouble than they realize. Devil dogs, hellhounds, or whatever you like to call them, are present in multiple mythological canons, such as the Norwegian canon, Japanese, and Greek mythology. Of course, the most famous Greek hellhound is Cerberus, the three-headed guard dog of the underworld. Could one of these servants of hell have escaped and now roam the wilds of America? Probably not, but it's a fun idea. And the uh, black dog of British folklore is a huge um, black dog. Like I said, it's it's, it's not complicated. Uh, that shows up to people when they're about to die. And story, different stories say that if you look into the eyes of the black dog more than once, you'll die. Or that it's just death um, as a dog come to reap your soul. Um, either way, it's pretty spooky. Uh, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. I know that it was pretty short. Um, I'm sure there are other, plenty of other West Virginian cryptids that I missed, so if I skipped your favorite one, let me know in a review on Apple Podcasts, or shoot me an email at charlesstone075 at gmail.com. You can also use that email to let me know how I'm doing, or give me an episode suggestion. I'm also on Instagram as whatever underscore radio, which is where I post announcements and upcoming episode stuff sometimes. Again, please leave me a show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts because then the podcast will be shown to more people, and I'd like that a lot. Um, and I'll do another review time, which I think was pretty fun. I like doing that. Um, but until next week. It's whatever. Thanks for listening, and have a great rest of your week.